This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Teal Talk Radio, Season 7, Episode 36. Season 7, Episode 36 of TL Talk Radio. I'm Lynn Funy-Hatton. And I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. Today, we're speaking with Julie Jungawala, author of The Human Side of Changing Education, How to Lead Change with Clarity, Conviction, and Courage. You may recall our earlier conversation with Julie in Season 5 on her newly released book. Julie is the founder of the Institute for the Future of Learning, president of the Academic Leadership Group, and an instructor at Harvard University's Division of Continuing Education. Julie believes that change in an organization is a fundamentally human endeavor. Her approach to change reflects that reality. As a learning and development consultant at Harvard University, Julie was the recipient of the Harvard Hero Award for Outstanding Contributions to the University. Julie graduated from Queen's University Belfast with a degree in Business Administration and French and from the Harvard Graduate School of Education with a master's degree in education specializing in adult development, learning technology, and behavioral change. So welcome back, Julie. Thank you for having me again. It's great to be here. Our pleasure. So to get started, review for us this concept of the human side of change. How do you distinguish it from other kinds of school change? And why do you believe it's so important for leaders to pay attention to this human side of change? Sure. So uh, this comes from about uh, 20 plus years of doing this work where I would often see these beautiful strategic plans describing a bright, shiny future. And too often there wasn't a plan that would go along with it to help the adults make the behavioral changes necessary in order to really realize now, I feel like COVID has just given us a massive uh, PhD level education and the fact that human beings matter and their internal reality might have some impact on how they show up at work every day. Uh, but in that book, uh, I really tried to unpack the fact that when we're embarking on any change in a school, schools don't change, people change. So what are you doing to help the people lead the change? It's almost like our schools were designed to almost dehumanize. Mm -hmm. and, yes, well, yeah, we're back to the, the factory model. Widgets are very controllable, yeah. <laughs> inputs, outputs. Uh, and it also, uh, you're, you're reminding me, I have this pet peeve oftentimes when I see these, you know, logic models of change, you know, inputs and outputs. And I think, well, that's, that, that makes good rational sense. But what if you take 2000 students, a few hundred adults, and maybe, you know, five or 600 parents, guardians, throw those elements into that mix, then what happens? Yeah, so I remember that conversation that we had, it was probably about two years ago now, when two years. we started wow. to 
dig into We were this. so innocent pre-COVID. <laughs> yes. And so much has changed in the last two years, especially the last <laughs> year, year and a half or so. So I'm curious from your perspective, from your vantage point, what we've gone through, and there's a lot of conversation about, you know, opportunities that this has presented with schools in terms of change. From from your vantage point, what do you see? Do you see any opportunities in having gone through this process? Have we learned anything? Is there anything that we can advantage as we are trying to change our schools, as we're trying to be more uh, more human in our organizations? Yes, I think there's a lot of opportunity here. The big challenge is the gravitational pull of the status quo is massive. So I think we're in this liminal state right now where the next six to 12 months will be pretty crucial. And I think it's it's a pretty Herculean leadership challenge right now because you've got, <clears throat> you've got leaders, administrators, teachers, parents, uh, and they're exhausted. The single biggest theme that I'm seeing right now is teachers and administrators are flat out exhausted. And pre-COVID, teachers were exhausted at this time of the year as well. I've always said there's something fundamentally wrong with the profession that requires two months off every year to recuperate from the <laughs> 10 months prior. So there, there, wasn't, <laughs> there wasn't some you know, nice, well-balanced uh, situation that we had before COVID. But I, I'm, I'm equal parts you know, hopeful, optimistic. I'm also worried because the conversation is so much around learning loss and you know, how do we quotes get these kids back up to speed? Well, back up to speed according to what criteria? It's largely you know, standard day, standardized, best, standardized based test criteria. And I regard them as arbitrary, that you should be this certain age and perform in these certain tests in this certain way. And again, we talk about learning loss, but I remember my own experience at school, like all of us, you would, you would really just uh, push yourself hard for the test. You would cram for the test. You would do what you needed to pass the test. Now, if you were given the test two months later, there would be learning loss <laughs> unless you'd crammed you know, the week prior. So uh, there's a certain emperor has no clothes here, uh, but my fear is we're having the wrong conversation you know, at the policy level, at the community level around all of this. Meanwhile, you have educators and leaders who are, if not already burnt out a hair's breadth away from it. And that's a clinical problem. I've worked with leaders before uh, coaching one-on-one -on -one and, and I've had friends as well. And I know it can take up to two years to recover from extreme burnout. So there's a, I believe there's a real emotional and physical challenge here that I, I just don't, I, I see it talked about at a high level, but I don't read much about, okay, what are we going to do about that to take care of the people who are taking care of our kids? From a human perspective, I wonder too, if we asked kids, students, learners, what they thought they lost. Mm -hmm. I wonder if how much of it would be learning or if it would be other sorts of things like socialization, friendships, activities, that kind of the learning that happens in, in those kinds of things. I wonder what they would say. I mean, I certainly haven't talked mm -hmm. to any, um, but I'm just, that's a curiosity that I have. 
it's, it's a great question. That would be a great question uh, to ask students. And also, what have you learned? Ah, yes. I'm hearing stories of parents saying their kids have started these interests and are more motivated and challenged and these new people have emerged in the last year. I think that's worthy of conversation and, and delving deeper as well. Yeah, I have an 18 year old at home and he's certainly learned plenty in the last year. His grades are, <laughs> are definitely not indicative of uh, the academic learning that he's experienced in other years, but. Um, I'm curious, Lynn, what would you say he has learned in the past year? Oh, he took his real estate license test. He started an online business. He's, um, he, uh, started looking at job opportunities. He, you know, he just, he just had a, a lot of interests that he started playing tennis. Like he just has a lot of interests that have emerged that it, when you look at those and put them next to, okay, he's got, you know, eighties instead of nineties. It's yeah. It's wow. pretty easy to swallow the 80s, right? Like <laughs> when you think about all the other experiences and um, the self-motivation and initiative that he took, he taught himself how to trade stocks and is now shorting stocks. I mean, the list just goes on and on. And he's not a brilliant kid. He's just a kid who's motivated and had time to do some things that he wanted to do. Wow. You see, right there, in the space of a year, just mm -hmm. give, given some space and mm -hmm. given what's at our fingertips with technology, just what your son was able to build, design, build, sure. and live. And I recognize yeah. he's privileged, right? He has access to, um, you know, resources that other kids may not have access to, whether it's the technology hardware or the software, or even family members, or even our friends who are realtors and can help him with that, or, you know, mm -hmm. have started trading stocks. So he certainly has, he certainly has privilege that enabled him to, um, investigate some other passions that not all of our learners would have in our buildings. Yeah. Yeah. You've also got me thinking, you mentioned eighties, not nineties. Uh, there is this, I don't know if it's always been the case, but there are two grades, a and not a, mm -hmm. there's no, I mean, whatever happened to a solid B. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, that takes you into another, another rabbit hole. He, he wanted to go to Penn state. He needed a 3.6 to get to Penn state and a solid B doesn't get you that. Mm -hmm. And that's just the reality. You know, that's just the reality. Luck, luckily for him, he waited until his <laughs> second half of his senior year to, to go down that path and he was able to reach his goal. But you know, mm -hmm. the, it's our whole system that creates these challenges. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious what you're learning about, um, those less privileged learners in your district? I think, you know, um, one of the ways that our school system has changed as a result of this remote and hybrid schooling is we've made a lot more connections to um, families and homes. We've had leaders that have gone out to houses to connect with learners, and we've gotten a real clear picture of um, some of the affordances and some of the challenges of our learners and you know some of their experiences and when you zoom with kids and when you're online every day and you're seeing you know the the kids who have their own rooms and have a nice quiet space and then the kids who are you know in in a corner of one room because there are three other kids in that corner and it's noisy and um, you know we've had a, a real a real opportunity to better understand our our learners as as learners and as people mm -hmm. um, and their their uh, learning environments, their home environments this year. Hmm. 
So what have you seen as some of the changes in school systems as a result of uh, remote and hybrid schooling? Uh, big one is the one that you just mentioned, which is the literal you know, bringing of the school system into living rooms, kitchens, bedrooms, uh, and, and the learning that's happening on both, side of that, both sides of that equation. So the teachers are learning a tremendous uh, amount about their, their students. And then parents are also learning more about what their kid is doing uh, during the day. Mm -hmm. I rem remembered uh, one parent, he was saying that uh, his, his son was on an IEP and had behavioral problems at school. And early on in the pandemic, um, he was given a week's work uh, like every other student was. And he completed it within 90 minutes. Mm. And when he dug a little bit deeper, he could see that his kid was just bored. And there's a whole story uh, that goes along with that. But that level of proximity. And it's, I feel like COVID has, it hasn't produced anything that wasn't there to begin with. It simply brought, brought it up uh, where we can't ignore it anymore. And that goes uh, everything from, you know, experience of school and uh, experience of a child's home life to social inequities and white supremacy in the classroom it, it's existed before it's really bringing it front and center uh, and you now have to make a choice to ignore it mm -hmm. explicit choice yeah i mean some some other positives you know we've been able to offer a the school lunch program to all of our learners so we've been able to um better understand some of our learners needs that we wouldn't have known um, necessarily if if they weren't at home for this extended period of time so it's definitely helped it's given us a window that we didn't necessarily have before and and on the flip side it's given parents a window into the classrooms that they've never had mm -hmm. um, to better understand the expectations and the opportunities for kids in um, in that learning environment yeah, and something as, as, as simple and big as uh, school meetings uh, taking place via Zoom and many more parents being able to join as a result of that. Um, whereas being able to make an in-person meeting, what might be an hour, a 90-minute meeting, takes three to four hours mm -hmm. to be able to make happen. Yeah, that's an interesting point. This, and I think we'll probably continue with some Zoom meetings or at least provide our parents with opportunities to attend via Zoom. Um, you know, even our recent school board meetings we've had via Zoom and we have increased participation. So something, you know, we've certainly seen some positives come, about, come out of all the challenges and certainly meeting parents where they are and having um, parents be able to attend meetings from their desks or, you know, lunch, a lunch break or a break at, at work instead of having to take that half day off that you referenced, you know, three or four hours to attend an hour meeting. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, definitely some successes in, embedded in all the challenges too. Yes, yes, absolutely. So it's been a few years since your book was published and I'm sure you've been thinking a lot about uh, what you wrote and this whole idea of the human side of change and education. What have you learned since then? What, what would you add to the book? What would you change? Any thoughts there? Sure. So I'm actually noodling on this idea uh, for book number two, mm. uh, which I'm hoping will be a joint initiative with Julie Stern. So Julie Stern is 
another Corwin author, uh, author of Learning, Trans Learning the Transfers, plus a number of additional titles. And it's come out of this sort of um, realization that's been bubbling up for me, which is when I started to write the first book, that was back in 2015, 2016, I think. Uh, you know, people have been talking for a few, a number of years, uh, thanks to Sir Ken Robinson, may he rest in peace, and you know, Ken Kay and the partnership of 21st century skills and all of the work that was bubbling up around, uh, you know, we really need to start thinking about skills and habits of mind in addition to the academic and the content. And, and there were schools really doing some tremendous work in that regard. And I remember I had sort of this dark night of the soul with the, with the first book where because I've, I've, I've shadowed leaders on the ground doing this work, I know how hard it is to change a school system from a top-down hierarchical factory system model to one that truly distributes leadership and embraces the human side of change and understands that if we're saying we want students to graduate with, you know, collaboration skills, creativity, you know, great communication skills, you know, empathy, so on and so forth, we need to provide that same scaffold for the adults as well. So I, I, know, I know that it can take anywhere from five to seven, in some cases, 10 years to really embed that change for it to be meaningful, for it really to get baked in uh, to how the school runs. And I sort of had this dark night of the soul uh, when I wrote the book where I was thinking, well, if there are 13,000 school districts in the country, it's highly unlikely that 13,000 superintendents and 130,000 principals are going to decide in the next couple of years, hey, we should do this work. So if we want to see change more quickly, uh, what's an alternative option? So <clears throat> that's when I introduced the hero's journey and issued an invitation for folks. It doesn't matter what level you are. This doesn't require positional leadership. Leadership is an act. So wherever you are, inside or outside of the system, if you have an idea uh, to help change it, take a baby step. And then I went through the, the narrative arc of the hero's journey and what you might expect on that path. So <clears throat> how my thinking has changed since then, uh, and maybe it's because I'm getting older and a little more cranky. The first book was invitational. The second book's gonna be, look, if you're a leader and you're not thinking about what we're going to describe as three truths and five decisions, then you're not doing your job. So. You know, we'll we'll talk about that in in warm invitational terms, and it's going to be, I think, a little bit more. This is the work mm -hmm. um, compared to the compared to the first book, and those three truths are: number one, we have this ever changing world, and the pace of change is accelerating at a clip that is highly disorienting, and nothing like a global pandemic to underscore a few lessons learned there. The second piece is what we know about the science of hum human learning, development, well-being, thriving, how if you're a child uh, growing up in an environment that's highly unstable, your brain is wired differently as a result compared to the child from a very stable uh, home, home life. Simple, major uh, pieces like that, and we're going to outline some of the, the primary ones. And the third truth is uh, the systemic inequity that's built into the system. So if you're a leader and you're ignoring those three truths, then 
you're not going to help your students be successful in an unknowable world. And you're not helping to equip your educators uh, to be able to hold that kind of space in the classroom. So I guess I've gotten more cranky. <laughs> That's a shorter <laughs> answer to the question. <laughs> I, think, I think we all do as time goes by. <laughs> <laughs> Time is running out, people. I'm getting older and so are you. <laughs> Although on the positive side of things, I would say that in the short time that we've been sort of in this space thinking about this stuff, I, it seems like there are there's a little momentum that's been built over the last five or six years. There are more people talking about this kind of work than there were half a dozen years ago. Absolutely. Uh, I remember when I wrote the proposal for the book back in 2015 and my editor said, OK, this chapter, uh, Julie, on, you know, the factory model and how it needs to change, that needs to be a paragraph. <laughs> mm. We know that you know, people get that now. The big question is, how do we lead the change? And I feel like I agree entirely, Randy, that was that was already happening. And I feel like COVID just put jet fuel to it. Mm -hmm. And we have, we've got a tremendous opportunity right now. And the challenge is we're exhausted. So how can we take care of the human beings to help essentially build this post-COVID world? Because I, I do believe we're in a liminal state right now. And that's when real change is possible. When things are in this liminal state, yep. there is an opportunity. It, it feels chaotic, but the the opportunity for learning a new way, a new ways of being and doing is equally as high. So we have, we have both here. We can find opportunities in the chaos. There you go. Yes. We just have to have that frame of mind and look closely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so much of that boils down to having a comfort with uncertainty. And as human beings, we're not wired that way. So. <laughs> Well, it's easier said than done, right? Like yeah. that's really hard work to do. And anytime we're looking at a whole system, it becomes much more complicated than this small piece that you can kind of control, right? Or, or mm -hmm. blow up, you know, and start over. It's a lot more difficult when you look systemically. Yes. Yep. Well, thank you for sharing your thoughts. Before we in invite you to share what's next, um, we have a couple of rapid response questions. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay, who's one expert our listeners should connect with to learn more about leading change? A wonderful woman called Gisela Wendling, W-E-N-D as in David, L-I-N-G. She talks about the inner and outer process of change. Love her work. All right, and if you were recommending one book to our listeners, what might that book be? A great read for the summer for educators is called A Little Book of Courage for a Big Pandemic. Oh, that sounds her. interesting. Yes. Uh, it's not just for educators, but the author happens to be an expert in helping schools through crisis. So she is uber qualified to talk to educators about how we might navigate what's Excellent. And um, last question. What online site resource or person do you learn from regularly? There's a wonderful guy called David Hyatt out of Wales. And he and his wife, Claire, started something called the Do Lectures. And their newsletter is called Chicken Shed Chronicles. And I just love how he comes at his work with complete, it's a big full heart, a full heart every time. All right, thank you. We'll add those resources to the show notes. Okay. 
And our final question, you did talk about an upcoming book, but is there anything else that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners today? Sure. So I'm working on another project called The Reinvention Mandate. So reinventionmandate.com with a number of colleagues. So Jenny Stein, Janine Matho, and Jean Griffin. So it's J to the power of four in this particular project. And uh, between the, the, the four of us, we've worked for many, many decades in talent management development uh, internally and externally in organizations. And we believe there is this, uh, the, whole the whole concept of reinventing yourself has always seemed kind of optional. You know, you can choose when you hit your late 30s, you know, early 40s to go to the self-help section of the bookstore and find out, you know, how you might navigate, you know, what, what's going on with you internally. But again, with the speed of, uh, what we're experiencing right now and what we're likely to, to experience in the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, we're going to be invited to be to reinvent ourselves continually. Uh, all of this conversation around upskilling and reskilling and so forth. So we're interviewing many, many people, uh, really real diverse uh, pool of folks who have reinvented themselves uh, many times to see, are there any golden threads that we can pull out uh, what's similar, what's different across these stories, and how might we help other folks who are about to start or in the middle of or emerging from a reinvention uh, to help make sense of the path and to navigate it. That sounds, um, sounds like some really fascinating qualitative work. There you go. <laughs> Fun. <laughs> I love the stories. <laughs> yes. All right, well, thank you so much for joining us today, Julie. It's been um, a pleasure to speak with you. To learn more about Julie's work, you can visit um, the links in the show notes, uh, the, her previous episode, uh, the book that she recommended. We'll, we'll put all those links in there, as well as a few more that Julie added for our listeners. Each episode, we leave you with a question to think about with the idea of provoking reflection and conversation. This episode's question, what did you learn today to elevate the human side of your school change efforts? If you've enjoyed this episode, would like to comment or check out the resources shared today, visit the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season seven, episode 36. That's all for this episode. We'll be back next week with another conversation featuring other innovative thought leaders. Thanks again, Julie. Bye-bye. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you, Randy. Bye-bye. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.